We are done with our study through First Peter. So we went through this letter. We've been journeying through. Um, and so we're in chapter 5, and we're at the very closing couple lines here. And so I want to unpack that a little bit, and then we'll talk about where we're going next, all right? So, um, 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14, and here's the spoiler, the series that we're going into is going to be called Walk With Me. And, um, and it comes out of these last few verses, and you'll see why here in a few minutes as we start to unpack these last few verses. Um, and where we're going next with it. Um, We've been looking at Peter's life because Peter um, writes these letters to the early church, to the church that is being persecuted, that is struggling, um, but also thriving and growing because of that tension, because people are seeing the contrast between the culture at that time, um, where you got Rome having its force basically over the known world at that time, and then you have this underground uprising of people that are, they weren't really called Christians really much at that point. It was followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And so these followers of Jesus were known for being completely distinct from the culture in that they loved each other. They cared for each other. There was something very unique about the way that they lived that set them apart, that was desirable, that people were just drawn to, and the communities were growing. Um, And so We've been looking at Peter's life because Peter has journeyed for a really long time. Can you turn me down a little bit? It's like humming. I don't know what's going on. Sorry. <laughs> but it's really distracting to me, and I'm like, ah! Um, so Peter's been like journeying with Jesus for all this time, and then now he's carried on this mission, this, this focus of like bringing this message to the known world, right? And so um, what we see Peter do is interacting with the churches, interacting with people that are now learning for the very first time who Jesus is, what he's about, what, they're, what Jesus is inviting them into, and now they're discovering this new life. And, and so he's writing all of these like truths as like how to really center life around it. And so if you want to go back and listen to a lot of what we talked about and how we kind of basically took Peter's life and how he interacted with Jesus, conversations he had with Jesus when he was on earth in flesh and blood, um, and what he learned from his failures, from his mistakes, and also like what went well. And, um, and so now here we have this, these closing lines. So here we go. 1 Peter 5, verse 12 to the end. Here we go. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you <clears throat> briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. That's a line you want to underline. It's very important. She who is in Babylon, this gets mysterious and we'll talk about it in a second, but chosen together with you sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So, I know this sounds like a couple of verses that are like throwaway verses where it's like, hey, peace, stick together, be awesome, stand strong. But there's so much more that as we begin to unpack it and as we begin to dig into it that you'll see that um, is really interesting. So there's two things that really stand out to me. The first thing is he says, stand fast in it, meaning God's grace. Stand in it confidently. Understand that this grace that he's given you is what gives you the strength to live out this really seemingly impossible way of life, of 
surrendering your life and serving others, right? Because I know that the first time I heard that, I was like, well, I got to take care of me. Like, what about me and my situation and my needs and those things? And as I began to journey with Christ, I began to discover it, it was more of a, God's got me. He'll take care of you. Be obedient in the, 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 the steps of discipleship, but focus on serving others and beginning to discover the life that is found in being caught up in the mission of God rather than my personal mission of Nate's going to be great. I need to get a good job. I need to have all these things. Those are great aspirations, but they're not the center of my life. They shouldn't be. And what Peter begins to point out here is this idea of stand firm. Stand firm in this because this will transform life for you. And then the second part, which we're going to really focus on, is the early church was connected. As I read these few verses, you begin to see how connected they are, right? He does some shout-outs in there. He's like, we send greetings. Like, these people that you're familiar with, that maybe you've seen, that have traveled through your community and preached or spoken word or teached some kind of message or taught some kind of message, they're all, they all say hi, right? What this tells me is that the early church, the early believers understood how powerful it was to be connected to one another. This is very foreign to us, right? <clears throat> we in a Western culture are very individualistic. We've been taught, look out for number one, do your thing, you know, make sure that everything in your life is taken care of, then go and do things for others. This culture was taught you rely on one another. You become this kind of community that, that takes care of one another's needs. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that in a second. We'll get into that. But um, this idea of them being connected. And one of the first things is Peter mentions um, this idea of uh, in Babylon, right? She says, she who is in Babylon says hello. And so just to give you some context of this whole idea of Babylon, because you're probably like, what's that Babylon reference all about? Um, that this is a reference to God's people being a reflection of his mission. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament because Babylon originally was the one that took Israel out of their homeland, that pulled Israel out and said, you can no longer be in your land. You're going to have to follow our ways of living. And so what they saw themselves as, as countercultural. So the early believers, as they sat there in Rome, as they sat there in this modern-day Babylon, they were like, this culture is very different than our culture. This culture of Babylon, of Rome, of however you want to fill that in, is so different. And today you would say, like, just whatever the, the common culture that is outside of Christian faith is very distinct. And what he was pointing out is, like, we who are in Babylon, we who are in this place that's very different than the culture that we're trying to live into, um, we say hello. And we recognize that we are a distinct people within a culture, within Babylon, right? And they consider themselves a continuation of Israel, basically. <clears throat> you could say, quote, Israel. God's people. And that's what we are. We are continually that. Anybody who says, I want to pursue God, I want to follow God, I want to be caught up in the mission of God, you are now part of what you could say Israel and what we see throughout the entire scripture. That's like summing it all up in some ways. It's kind of distilling it a little too much. But it's like this idea of being a distinct group of people that God said, I'm going to set you apart to be a blessing to the nations. Maybe you've heard that phrase before going back to Abraham, but it was like one of these things of like, I'm, 
we're going to be a distinct group of people, not just us in this room, but like Christians globally, that will be a blessing to the world. It'll be a blessing because of the way that we care for one another. And so then it goes on. Um, you see this distinction. Um, oh, sorry. Um, you see this, uh, this thought, this idea of this distinction taking place very early on in Peter's life. And I'll show you where this is, and you've probably heard this because I've used it in sermons millions of times, maybe not millions, but a lot, um, is this conversation that Peter has with Jesus. And so here's what he says. So he says, in response to like Peter having this conversation about like, you know, what's important, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you also must love one another. By this, everyone, Babylon, the culture, whoever's like outside looking in kind of thing. Um, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. And then Peter's response is funny. He goes, Lord, where are you going? Because right before this, like basically Jesus says, like I'm giving you this mission to live out because I'm not going to be with you forever. And instantly G- Peter's like, well, wait, where are you going? Like totally misses the point. Like misses the point of like, instead of saying, okay, yeah, we'll love one another, right? Like that's, that's brilliant. That simplifies it. This is the mission. He's instantly like, well, where are you going? Like, you lead us in this. You do it. And what Jesus is trying to teach him is, no, you live into this. You live into this beautiful relationship. Good morning. How you doing? I love it. Um, this beautiful relationship of being this kind of community that rallies together around one thing, loving one another. Love for one another was what Jesus says will be distinct about you that everybody else, which Rome at that time, we talked about this, if you want to go back into like even last week's message, um, the suffering that Rome was causing, right? Because Nero was basically jealous and said, I'm God, I'm the one in charge, you will listen to me and you'll obey me and you'll do it through force. And he was just lighting fires around the city. There's all kinds of stuff. Like people, like all the disciples are persecuted. They end up dying for their faith because of a government that says, you're going to do things my way, right? So what Jesus says is, love one another. Because people will see that distinction. They'll see that you care for one another and the way that you treat one another. And it'll be so different than the world that you live in. And it'll be so refreshing and so beautiful that people will be like, I want that. I want more of that. People will ask, why do you do that? Why do you love people? Why do you put others before yourself? What's up with that? And there will be this beautiful beautiful, tangible message of what it looks like to be the, this kind of community. So um, you see a strong sense that Peter is like, we got to stay connected. We have to stay grounded in this, this grace that we get, we're invited to live into, that we get to express in our daily life. And so he's like, we are connected in this way, right? I'm personally very drawn to this kind of community, and maybe you've been there in your Christian faith, um, that intentional Christian community is very attractive. Like when you see people taking care of each other's needs, you're like, that's, that's amazing, right? Um, maybe you're familiar, I'm going to use this as an example, with Yellow Deli out in Vista. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so we got some people to understand. If you don't, I'm going to give you like a very brief explanation. Um, Hippie commune. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I'll just narrow it down. It, no, it's a group of people that basically have said, we're going to live together. We're going to share everything in common. Basically like what the early church was doing. Um, 
And I'm attracted to that. I think it's awesome. Like, I think there's something about living in a community where everybody's meeting one another's needs. Um, nobody has lack of anything, right? If someone has something, you're like, let's take care of that. Let's meet that need. Let's take care of it. But here's the deal. That can be very beautiful in that it's connected and it can be very um, relational. Um, you begin to see people serving one another. But it can also go on the other side where it turns exclusive, right? So the pitfall with that and why I stay away from it in some ways um, is that ex- exclusivity becomes this thing where it's like, well, if you're in, you're in, and if you're not, you're definitely not part of what we're doing, right? And exclus- exclusivity is not something that Jesus was known for, right? If you think of Jesus and you think of who he was and the kind of ragtag group of people that he created, yeah, he's washing people's feet, he's including fishermen of all people, like the lowest of that culture, and saying, let's come together. And everywhere he went, there was this inclusivity, not an exclusivity about how he lived. And so the church that we see and the way that they connected with one another, they cared for each other's needs, but I don't think it has to be in a creepy way. I don't think it has to get to this place where it becomes, I don't know, just very uh, inward is maybe a way to put it, Um, and losing the mission of going outward serving the community, being connected to the community. And the challenge we have, though, I believe, as I mentioned earlier, is that we face, as a Western culture, the challenge of removing that very individualistic characteristic that's woven into our being, right? Um, Removing that I'm so special and everybody else needs to stay away and I need to take care of me. Um, there, there has to be a recognition that we need one another, that we need to care for one another, we need to meet one another's needs, um, but there also has to be on the other end of like, I need to take care of like my relationship with God, right? Not in a selfish way, but in a way that like, if I'm not beginning to be discipled under Jesus, learning to love, I'm not going to be useful in the kingdom. I'm not going to be useful to serving and loving people because I'm not going to have anything to offer, right? And so there has to be this balance that happens, right? And so intentional Christian community can be very difficult. Um, But what I want to focus on is how do we foster good relationships? How do we foster these deep relationships that we see happening in Scripture where even though they were miles apart, they were still connected and they understood that there was a deep connection to being one community, right? Right? That even though we all live in different homes throughout the week, that we can still be connected. We can still be the kind of community that fosters deep relationship, that fosters a care for one another and a care for our community. And so I want to ask you this question, and I want you to think about it right here, like as we sit here, because I know as soon as we leave, we'll forget about it. But how do you foster deep, meaningful relation, discipleship relationships that help develop our faith? Don't answer it out loud, but let it, like, think about it. Like, what are the things right now that you've discovered maybe in your journey, or maybe you have, you're just starting in this journey of, of hearing about Jesus and following Jesus? What do you think develops deep relationship? Think about the relationships that you've had over the years where you've had deep relationship with somebody. And I'm not talking about intimacy. I'm talking about, like, 
connection where like you could trust that person, where you can lean on them when things got difficult and they lean on you when things got difficult. Like it was like a, a reciprocation, right? That's often what happens. Um, deep, meaningful relationship comes from, I believe, this ability to surrender life to Christ and begin to recognize that it's not about me all the time, right? And that's a difficult process. Like, that's continually being uprooted in my own life. Like, I'm constantly learning how to surrender my life to that. And one of the ways that we can do that is this thing called a rule of life. A rule of life um, is a way of guiding us and giving us some kind of direction And this isn't something I can prescribe to you. This isn't something I can say, like, let's all do this. Although Jesus did say love one another, right? Like, it's very simple. But um, a rule of life is a very simple thing that you write out, you create in your own life to say, during the week, these are the things that I'm going to value. And if relationships is one of those things, if you struggle with that, if that's something that's difficult for you, then I would say maybe that's something you need to start writing down if you want to take out your phone or you want to write on a piece of paper on the notes. Um, Begin to think through, like, what are the areas that you want to begin to refine? I'll give you some illustrations, some examples of this. But a rule of life, it serves as a framework. So when we think of rules, we think of, like, this is difficult. A rule of life is actually more of, like, a guide, right? So we have rules every day that we abide by that we're not angry about. Lanes on a road. You're not angry about those lanes on the road, right? Like, we appreciate the lanes on the road. We appreciate that people stay in them. And we respect them, and they help guide us and get us from point A to B. A rule of life is the same thing. It's a way of life that you begin to live by that says, this will help me thrive. This will help me from crashing into other cars. This will help me from thriving in my relationships, in my relationship with other people, even my own identity. Maybe you need that reminder continually that you are loved, that your, me- your needs will be met, that you will be taken care of. Maybe it's that you need to be a more generous person. I don't know. It's, it's going to be different for all of us. And there's areas like and seasons of life that we continue to develop. And so um, let me just read this uh, second part of this. Um, it's a way of living out our vacation alone and together, right? So there's elements of togetherness and personal growth. A rule then is a means whereby under God, we take responsibility for the pattern of our spiritual lives. It is a measure rather than a law. The word rule has, a bad con- has bad connotations for many, um, implying restrictions, limitations, legalistic attitudes. But a rule is essentially about freedom. It helps us to stay centered, bringing perspective and clarity to the way of life to which God has called us, all right? And so it's this way of like narrowing down life with intentionality, with focus, and saying, these are the things I want to value and really um, pursue, right? Um, Raise your hand. Wait, no, don't raise your hand. I want you to blow your cover. But have you ever said, I'm too busy for blank? <laughs> Some of us are all the time, right? What this does is it gives us margin in our week to say, maybe somebody needs something from me during the week. And if I haven't designated space and time and a purpose within my hours within my week, that person's never going to get my time, money, effort, resources, whatever it is, right? And so if we begin to, to have this intentionality, people, when they call up and they're like, hey, I really need help right now, you're not like, well, that's cool. Let me throw a quick prayer and I got to go back to my thing. You're like, let's meet up. Let's grab coffee. Um, one of the things I admire and just, I don't know how he does it, but this guy, Bob Goff, 
He's like, his thing is he never lets anybody go to voicemail. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, how do you pull that off? You know, but he's like, and he's like, if anybody wants to meet, if they're like, hey, let's schedule a meeting for Wednesday. He's like, how about right now? I'm like, that's convenient for you as like somebody who may like have a totally flexible schedule and can't like, can just drop anything at any time. But there's something to be learned in there because I like having control over all these things in my life. But then I recognize that what he's trying to teach us and what he's trying to pull us to is leave some margin so that somebody can enter into your life. So that we can be this kind of community that's in these last few verses where they go, hey, Mark says hi. And I know you guys appreciate Mark because of what he did to invest in your community and the relationship you guys built and maybe the way that he did something to help you guys. Margin and a rule of life and these things begin to give us space to say, okay, I can help somebody. And I had that happen this week. Like, a friend asked, and I'm not going to give all the details, but was basically like, hey, I need help with this. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, right? There's that inner turmoil, that conversation. You're like, but... And I was like, well, maybe God's in that. And I went, and God did something really beautiful through that. There was a conversation that unfolded in that, con- in that interaction that I almost bailed out on, that had I not left enough margin in my week, had I not prepped enough sermon or done the work that I'm committed to throughout the week, to have that time to be like, yeah, I can drop whatever I'm doing to go and do this, God wouldn't have been able to use my life. I wouldn't have been useful, right? And so that's why I talk about being useful to God is, leaving that space and having that intentionality to say, God, what do you want to do in my life? And sure, I have obligations and things and commitments that I'm going to stick to, but there's these other areas that maybe I need to leave a little more space for and leave space for other people to enter into and, and begin to engage in. And so um, a resource that I want to give you that I listen to that um, has inspired a lot of this is uh, this podcast called Renovare. If you, want to, if you like podcasts, if you're into listening to things, um, Nathan Foster uh, is son of um, Richard Foster, who's just an amazing, amazing theologian, um, has his podcast, and he interviews these people. And one of the people he interviewed um, gave this kind of guide. And maybe this helps you, and maybe this will be something that will help us as a church um, as we go and create these, uh, this rule of life in our own lives. Um, he says this, um, The desire is to be a people who are bearing one another's burdens, making worship a priority, following an unpredictable rabbi, and I'll explain these in a second, and cultivating spaces where Jesus is loved, whether that be in a church building or in your living room, right? I think a lot of times we think of like places that we love God and we worship Jesus is this room, right? In a worship building where somebody's leading us with a guitar or something in the front of the room. We need to expand that. It needs to be bigger than that, right? Because Jesus is with us the rest of the week. It's not just an hour on Sunday morning. And so um, one of the things, or the, the, the list that he gives there is, I feel like it covers kind of the gamut of what we're called to. And the first part of it is bearing one another's burdens. And so when someone calls and has a need, are you there and available? And do you have space, resources, ability to then help meet those burdens? Um, making worship a priority. And that's not just Sunday morning. That's part of it, coming together and gathering. I feel like I need this as much as many of you probably do. Um, I need this space to come together because I know that without it, 
my heart will stray, my mind will stray, I'll be distracted in other things. And so I need to start my week with a Sunday morning like this. I need to start my week in Scripture and worshiping and being led by Matt and, and you and all of us coming together. Like that, that sets the course of my week, right? Um, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm up here and this is my job. It's because that's the thing that I'm passionate about, the thing that I love, and I know that it, it transforms life. And so then worshiping becomes this thing that we desire. And so he says, making worship a priority. And I believe that when we make that a priority, that begins to shift our mindset. Um, again, getting away from that individualistic way of life. And then following an unpredictable rabbi. I like that because it's, it's pretty punk rock. Um, and so this idea that that Jesus will call you to do things where like on a Saturday morning, someone's going to call you up and say, hey, can you help me with this? That's an unpredictable rabbi. That's like a rabbi that's taking you and saying, I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to have you help this person. You probably don't want to, but we're going to do some rad stuff together, right? And that's like, that's the unpredictable rabbi. That's what Jesus calls us to. And that's, some people will say it's listening to the Holy Spirit. It's being led by just, you know, like what God wants to do and not your own agenda. But However you want to say it, it's like, it's unpredictable sometimes. And, and having that ability to say, what's God doing? Like, he might be up to something. I'll be okay with that. And I'll just jump in and let's see what happens. And God seems to do things. And I think when we follow an unpredictable rabbi, we go, okay, God's going to do something here. And I'm just like waiting to see what happens. And I'm eager, right? Like we're kind of giddy, like what's happening? It's like Christmas morning, you know? Um, and then that can happen every single day. And I believe there's a joy that comes with that of like this unpredictable rabbi would take you to crazy places and it's awesome. Um, and then um, the last thing is cultivating spaces where Jesus is loved. And that's really just saying, that's like what we do on a life group night where we come together and we talk about scripture. We talk about what God's doing in our lives. One of the questions we continually ask ourselves and I encourage you to do this is, what is God doing in my life right now? What is God up to? Um, where do I see God at work today? Where do I see God at work this week? Maybe today's a difficult thing for you to figure out and to hear. But maybe this week you saw God at work doing something amazing. Um, that's basically cultivating spaces where Jesus is loved. And you're going, I love Jesus. I know he's up to something. And I just want to be more in tune with it because up to me, it's about me, myself, and I. Those three all the time, <laughs> right? And that's a battle. <laughs> yeah, the Trinity, the Trinity of me. Um, and so that challenge gets pushed back by, these, by these, these rules of life, right? These ways of living. And so if you want to hijack these, take them, copy them, take a picture. They're in the notes on the digital bulletin. If you want to look at them later this week, um, you're welcome to. But what this brings us to is the end of First Peter and into Mark. And here's why. One of the people, one of the people, one of the, the persons that, that uh, gets acknowledged there is Mark. He says, Mark says hi. Mark is a disciple of Peter. And I want to give you a little background on who Mark is, and then we're going to close, okay? Mark is one of those people that is kind of behind the scenes. He wrote the gospel of Mark, okay? But he wasn't necessarily one of the disciples that was the 12 that were journeying with Jesus. But he did disciple under Barnabas and under Paul and under Peter, okay? Those are three legends. When you, when you talk about, like, Scripture and you talk about New Testament and you talk about guys you're writing and talking about, like, the core and the, the mission of Jesus, they were the ones. Mark discipled under them. 
he had that connection. He had that, that, that journey, basically, of sitting with these people and learning from them. And so he's one of the ones that he sends a greeting to in, that, in, this, in the end of this letter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to start going through the Gospel of Mark. That's going to be this next series. And this is the idea of walk with me. And it's this idea that Peter had journeyed so long with Jesus that then he had made other disciples who had learned to be like Jesus. And guess what? After Mark did that, after Mark learned from Peter, he went and did that with a group of other people and some other people and some other people. And then we're sitting here and somebody discipled me at some point, right? And someone discipled some of you at some point. And so like this journey continues on. And so this idea of walk with me and Jesus calls us to walk with him and walk in this way to where we are learning from others what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, We're not all perfect, but we're in this process of learning it together, and we had to have been taught by somebody, right? Like, Scripture should be core, but we also learn from interacting with other people, other followers of Jesus. And so we're going to go back and look at Mark, Um, and so I just want to give you a little background on who he is and why this is significant, because these relationships were woven together. They were were tight. Um, So he was the son of Mary, who is the one who um, opened up the upper room for the disciples to come together and have that last meal with Jesus before he goes to the cross, all right? So Mary uh, is uh, Mark's mother, okay? So he's kind of hidden in the background. You imagine he was probably watching those disciples all gathered around. He was probably, picture this one, watching Peter go, Jesus, I'm with you all the way, and Jesus going, yeah, that's cool, but the rooster's going to crow three times, and you're going to deny me, and you're going to fail me big time, but it's okay. And you're gonna, he watched that process happen. Little Mark would have seen this take place, okay? Um, Mark was with Jesus when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's a funny like couple lines that he throws into the Gospel of Mark, where Mark is actually running away from uh, the centurions that come to arrest him, and his cloak is ripped off, and he's said to be running away naked. This is Mark. This is awesome, right? So you picture, like, he's kind of like the fly on the wall. He's been watching the disciples and watching Jesus and observing all this stuff happen, and now he's being discipled under Peter. Um, He'd learned a lot, right? Um, Like I said, he spent a lot of time with Paul and Barnabas. Um, In Acts 12, you see... um, Peter and Mark begin to start this relationship of, um, of discipleship. And um, yeah, so this connection between the two, it runs deep. And we see these teachings in the, the gospel written out as a result of this connection of these relationships that have, uh, that have been formed. Um, so that brings us to this series, and we're going to look at just a couple verses here. I'm going to throw them on the screen. Um, the very beginning, just to get us rolling, and then next week we'll continue on. Um, but it starts out, these are the first few lines of Mark. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. What I want us to focus on is that line where it says, prepare the way of the Lord. I want to invite us to prepare our hearts to read Mark like we've never read it before. Maybe you haven't read it before, so this would be great. But if you have read it before and it sounds familiar, hopefully this is fresh. I want to look at it from fresh lenses and just say, let's prepare our hearts to journey through it 
and see, like, let's look at Jesus without all of the theology that maybe you've learned and try and remove all that and try and just look, what does Jesus tell us? What does he call us to? What did Mark learn from Peter about who Jesus is? What did Mark learn from Jesus about who Jesus is, right? Like, let's look at it from this, like, very kind of, I don't know, fresh perspective. Um, The book of, or the gospel of Mark is the shortest. It's the first gospel that was written. It's the oldest one. And it also moves the quickest. He uses the word immediately over and over. Immediately they did this and this. And he's like just excited about it. And I want us to, hopefully, I don't know if I can convey that because I'm excited about it. But like, I hope that we can be excited about it and read it as if these early believers did the very first time they picked it up and went, whoa, this is who Jesus is? Because they'd never met Jesus. But they know Peter had seen him. They know that Mark had seen him. And they know that what they're writing about is something that transformed their lives. And so um, that's my prayer as we go into this series. Um, I would encourage you, if you want to talk more about rule of life, we're going to talk about that at Life Group this week. Um, or if you want to wrestle with that, do some research on it. I would encourage you to check out uh, Renovare podcast and just listen to that, and you'll start to see some of these conversations about what it means to have a rule of life in there. Um, but let me, let, let me pray us out, and, um, and let's continue just to, uh, I think foster that idea of community, that idea of connectivity that we see at the very end of uh, 1 Peter there that says, we're going to rely on one another. We're going to be the kind of community that cares for each other's needs. We don't have to live in all the same house. Like, it doesn't have to be creepy, okay? Um, But we can care for one another deeply, right? Like, we we can ask each other genuinely, how are you doing? And how can I be praying for you? What are your needs right now? Um, and that doesn't have to just be in this room. I would say it's a great safe space to start in this community. But then outside of that, I would say, like, try to, let's live that. Let's be that kind of people. So that when people talk about Christians, they say they're distinct. They love one another. They care for one another. They're, they're caught up in caring for humanity. Let me pray. Father, um, Prepare our hearts, um, even as we go into the rest of this day, to be the kind of people that reflect your love. Um, Continue to soften our hearts. We recognize that we've been shaped by a culture that that is misleading, that tells us it's it's about me or it's really about you, Jesus. And so um, help us to surrender our lives to that. Um, Give us strength when we are weak. Um, Give us clarity when things are confusing or difficult. Um, Help us to continue to listen and to follow you as the unpredictable rabbi that you are um, as you lead us into the different places throughout our week, the commitments that we've all made, but then also the spaces where we can um, be an expression of your love and your grace um, in, in the world that you've called us to and the community that you've called us to. So thank you for this group of people, and I just pray that you would... Um, give them your Holy Spirit um, as we leave this place um, and, and to work out of your strength and not our own. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. If you have questions, again, the Connect card, um, if you have the physical one and you want to fill that out and drop it in the gray bucket out there with Paul, um, or if you want to fill out the digital version of it, just hit send and I get the email. It's way easier. Um, but that's a great way to connect if you have questions about anything we talked about, life group, or um, uh, prayer requests. Because we want to be praying for you if you have 
uh, prayer uh, requests that are going on in your life. So let me close with this. We, we send out with this uh, blessing that we read every week. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Grace and peace to you. Amen.